and of a sudden I saw that I should get this thing if I applied for it. What other university or public school man would dream of doing so? Was any other in such straits as I? And then, my relenting relative, he not only promised to speak for me, but was the very man to do so. Could any recommendation compete with his in the matter of a male nurse? And need the duties of such be necessarily loathsome and repellent? Certainly the surroundings would be better than those of my common lodging-house and own particular garret, and the food, and every other condition of life that I could think of on my way back to that unsavory asylum. So I dived into a pawnbroker's shop, where I was a stranger only upon my present errand, and within the hour was airing a decent if antiquated suit, but little corrupted by the pawnbroker's moth, and a new straw hat on the top of a tram. The address given in the advertisement was that of a flat at Earl's Court, which cost me a cross-country journey, finishing with the district railway and a seven-minute walk. It was now past midday, and the terrywood pavement was good to smell as I strode up the Earl's Court Road. It was great to walk the civilized world again. There were men with coats on their backs and ladies in gloves. My only fear was lest I run up against one or other whom I had known of old. But it was my lucky day. I felt it in my bones. I was going to get this berth and sometimes I should be able to smell the wood pavement on the old boy's errands. Perhaps he would insist on skimming over it in his bath-chair, with me behind. I felt quite nervous when I reached the flats. They were a small pile in a side street, and I pitied the doctor whose plate I saw upon the palings before the ground-floor windows. He must be in a very small way, I thought. I rather pitied myself as well. I had indulged in visions of better flats than these. There were no balconies. The porter was out of livery. There was no lift, and my invalid on the third floor. I trudged up wishing I had never lived in Mount Street, and brushed against a dejected individual coming down. A full-blooded young fellow in a frock-coat flung the right door open at my summons. "'Does Mr. Maturin live here?' I inquired. "'That's right,' said the full-blooded young man, grinning all over a convivial countenance. "'I—I've come about this advertisement in the Daily Mail.' "'You're the thirty-ninth,' cried the blood. "'That was the thirty-eighth you met upon the stair, and the day's still young. "'Excuse my staring at you.' "'Yes, you pass your prelim, and can come inside. "'You're one of the few. "'We had most just after breakfast, "'but now the porter's heading off the worst cases, "'and that last chap was the first for twenty minutes. "'Come in here.' "'And I was ushered into an empty room with a good bay window, "'which enabled my full-blooded friend to inspect me "'yet more critically in a good light. "'This he did without the least false delicacy.' Then his questions began. Varsity man? No. Public school? Yes. Which one? I told him, and he sighed relief. At last, 
"'You're the very first I've not had to argue with "'as to what is and what is not a public school. "'Expelled?' "'No,' I said, after a moment's hesitation. "'No, I was not expelled. "'And I hope you won't expel me "'if I ask a question in my turn. "'Certainly not. "'Are you Mr. Maturin's son?' "'No. "'My name's Theobald.' You may have seen it down below. The doctor, I said. His doctor, said Theobald with a satisfied eye. Mr. Maturin's doctor. He is having a male nurse and attendant by my advice, and he wants a gentleman if he can get one. I rather think he'll see you, though he's only seen two or three all day. There are certain questions which he prefers to ask himself, and it's no good going over the same ground twice. So perhaps I had better tell him about you before we get...